All right. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Yes. How are you doing? How's everything? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Living my better than best life. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm kind of jealous because you're in Florida. I, I love. I like to. Li- I liked living in Florida because of the weather. I am a fake Jamaican African island girl, and the weather is just. It's just. It's. It's me. Like I just like the weather. I don't want to deal with the snow and the hail, right. and it's just a lot. <laughs> girl, I can't stand the snow. Now I will tell you in full disclosure, I'm not in Florida this time. I'm in Indiana. Where I'm originally from where my mom and dad. Yes. So I'm, trust me, it is dark. It is cloudy. I mean, it looks like there might be a little sun, but there's no sun. You're just, we're just in a, I'm just in a room that is um, facing a street where it's just a lot of illumination. So you're getting light shade, but trust Um, me, it ain't, it ain't nice. It's cold. (laughs) I've been to Indianapolis, but it was during like the summer months. Okay, were you on a were you here on a day where it just happened to be a little sunny? Yeah, but it okay. it, it was like gloomy. Now that I'm like, that's it. It's gloomy. You know, I didn't even realize how dark and gloomy Indy was until I left. Mm-hmm. And in Florida, as you can imagine, and it's sunny, it's sunny. every day. Now we get, it's sunny every day. Now we get rain from time to time, but let me tell you, there is something about the sun and mm-hmm. the natural vitamin D the blue skies and every day, even though maybe a little tired or, you know, you didn't get enough sleep last night or, you know, you're just, you're rushing and it doesn't matter. Like there's something about the energy that the sun gives me when I'm in Florida. It just makes me feel good. I feel hopeful. Yes. I, feel as if I, can win, I can do and accomplish anything. And everybody for the most part is in a good mood. I'm like, how are you going to be nasty? Is, you have summed up you have summed the up beach? Yeah, oh god Which so, many I love. Time, so many times i've, I've <laughs> skipped class at university of my, uh, miami just to go to the beach but yeah you've like summed up what I, I i just was lost for words but i'm just like i don't know it's cool living up you know new jersey new york area because there's stuff entertainment going on but like i feel like the weather like really affects a person's mood yeah their energy, their personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, you just like summed it up. I'm just, cause you're from Indianapolis. So it's, it definitely was like gloomy, but I did see the sun, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I like seeing the sun. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. seeing the sun. I like sitting in it. Like, I don't know. I just, man, if you would have seen pictures of me in Miami, I was a nice little chocolate, little milk dud. Okay. <laughs> And they'd be like, you're not tired. I'm okay. like, no. When people talk about like seasonal affective disorder, like they're like, oh, that's not real. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's yes, real. It is. You're not getting enough sunlight, which is God's natural vitamin D. You don't have to take a pill, but you get no. it every day. It makes you feel better. It makes you look better. Get that nice little glisten, little glow like you were talking about. There's something about it. And then, like you said, you know, you were at the beach where you're in Miami. Go to the beach almost every other day, about every day, whether it's sunrise or sunset or the middle of the oh, day. That's just, another even thing. if I'm just by it, I can like it just literally makes me feel better. And I'm I, I I'm literally living my best life in Florida. I mean, I go back and forth, and I, I love the East Coast. Don't get me wrong; I went to school at Howard, and I was you know I'm all about the East Coast. But there's something about being 
in an environment where you are fed every day with vitamin D naturally. It's just there's nothing like it. It's the best. It's the best. Which is why when we go on vacations, most of the time we want to go to a place that's sunny and beautiful and you know Caribbean island. I mean, because it's right. it's beautiful. I mean, it just makes you feel better. So why not live there all the time if you can? So yeah, I'm like envious that you're there. I still I still have a Florida license. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I still have a Florida license. My I still have a car tag that says Florida. Um. Yeah, I'm just envious. I, I miss just waking up on my balcony, waking up five, six o'clock in the morning, sipping tea, kicking my feet up, and just watching the sunset. Um, yeah, like I just that was the that's a life for me. Just feeling the, the warm life. breeze on my bald head and instead of now, I gotta bundle up, I gotta put a scarf on. It's just a lot. Uh, but the yeah, hurricanes yeah. were very like strenuous. I was definitely in living in Miami when it was 2018, when it was like um, category four, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I was like, man, should I stay or should I evacuate? I, my crazy, right. my crazy bus stayed. <laughs> oh no, no, that's why I said don't. Our previous episode, that's why I said don't. You got to give me some type of target because my little crazy. <laughs> like if I could do it over again, maybe not next time. Maybe, but, maybe um, next time. Yeah, I just miss Florida. The the ambiance of just the warm weather. It's just, it's I don't know. It just fits me. I feel yeah. very at home. But I do love D, the D.C. Maryland as far as mm. the people mm. and the hospitality. I'm a, and I'm also have to say the activities as well. But the weather, yeah, if I could take the weather and the people from DC to Maryland, like I, I, I if they make if they forge that together, I will be so at home and I will move okay. instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love the DMV. I mean, I that's when I I became a woman. When I grew up was in DC. I was 17 years old when I moved to DC, and I went to Howard undergrad and that's when I mean like I still feel like I'm like I'm still living my 17 18 year old life but that's when I look back those were the best the best six years of my life living and working in DC I love love that area I'm like at a phase where I'm just like man do I go back to the DC area when I want to like raise my family or because it's a comfort area like I feel comfortable as like a single woman being there but I'm not really sure if if that's or do I want to go back to Florida I kind of just grapple with that idea but I I don't want to be so sold on it because I don't have a solid partner where I know like this is going to be my husband and stuff needs to be yeah. talked about but i'm just like yeah those are like my two spots <laughs> where i just feel my happiest uh there's just so many things that i i really like about the dc maryland area it's diverse just as much as the new york new jersey area um the the amount of wealthy people that look like me and other mm-hmm. cultures in the maryland area um, it's just so many things that I could just like the museums. There's just so many things that I'm interested in versus like other areas. So such an inspiring environment. I mean, even beyond the politics and mm-hmm. of course the museums, and there's just so much activity. 
activity. There are there's so many things that you can get into and, you know, your children and your family can be involved in. Like, it's a city that you can never get bored. Like, if, you're, if you live in D.C. or even, like, you know, New York, New Jersey, that whole kind of East Coast flavor, and you're like, there's nothing to do. And that's not about, Crazy. that place is about you. Because there's right. always something to do. There's yes. always something going on. And I just, I mean, for me, you know, my my fascination and my love for D.C. is, is based on the mid-80s to, you know, early 90s. So I was there during a time that was very different from how D.C. looks now. Mm-hmm. D.C., when I was there, was called Chocolate City. D.C. was also known as the murder capital of the nation. <laughs> oh, I've seen that side. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's true. The Georgia Avenue that, that I grew up on and walked up and down the streets back in 87 is different from the Florida Avenue or the Georgia Avenue that exists right now. I mean, it's different. I mean, there's been a lot of gentrification. Mm-hmm. There has been a lot of growth in DC, which I'd love to see. And yet the level of diversity when it comes to African-Americans who you know, predominantly made up DC, it's no longer like that. Is that a bad thing, a good thing? It just is what it is. But my fascination with D.C. is still based on what I knew it to be back in the day. And so when I go to visit from time to time, it is different. But it still gives me that energy and the love and the access to the amenities that I love of, of, of cities, especially like D.C. So, yeah, D.C. is, I mean, of course, you know, when you got the cherry blossoms and the spring, it's yes. just beautiful. You know, Rock Creek Park beautiful like it's just a beautiful city so yeah mumbo my sauce. yeah right mumbo so i mean all that <laughs> don't forget that uh, florida avenue grill you know going to um oh my god back in the day it was booze alley and georgetown i mean i don't even think that's there anymore but yeah for me it was just it was just so much love and you know black love and chocolate love and all of that back when i was there and so when I go there, I still see it through the, through that prism. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I always will, because that's when I began to become a young adult. And I was going into my adulthood and really learning what being Black in America looked like and felt right. like. Because I was coming from Indiana, which, you know, doesn't have a lot of diversity necessarily. And I went to, you know, uh, a predominantly um, non-minority school. Mm-hmm. So my connection to the African-American to the black world was very limited. And when I got to DC, it was like, my eyes just were like, oh, like, I, right. I felt like I just made it heaven. I was in heaven. And so, you know, DC is responsible for, for raising me. DC is responsible for giving me a sense of confidence that I never, that I never had as a young person. You know, when mm-hmm. I got to DC, it just really, gave me those experiences and those those moments in life that I have always, always cherished. And I look to as the moment when I'm like, okay, the light bulb went off. You know, that moment right. when I started really understanding what being Black in America was like. That moment when I understood what it meant to, you know, what Black power was. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it, it's, it's, I just have such great fond memories of D.C. and the it always has this very special place in my heart, including yes. HU, the real HU, our university, but always has a very special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, it is HU. so funny to hear a HU, for those of you who do not know, Howard University, but there's also another HU 
or I'm going to say a more prom or another, another big HBCU, which is Hampton university, which is in Virginia. So they kind of have a tit for tat of, you know, who right. is the real HBCU. I'm not in that argument because I didn't go to neither one of those schools, <laughs> but it's just funny. just to hear you guys. <laughs> we the real HBCUs. And I'll be like, girl, let me stay out of this. But, um, <laughs> so how did, well, let me first roll this out. I, when we had our private conversation, I knew instantly when you introduced yourself and you were telling me about yourself, I said, oh, she went to an HBCU. Oh, how could you tell? Is that because um, I said No, you, you told me. I told you. Okay. Yeah, you okay. when you were talking about yeah, you were you were um giving me your background. And so when you okay. were saying that you went to Howard University, you didn't say HBC, you say you went to Howard University. I was like, Oh yeah, she she getting this topic right here. How did H- how did HBCU shape you as a black woman? But I was like, let me let me not get so gun ho. Maybe she maybe she's a little sharp in another area. Let me let me give her let me give her a chance because I I'm I'm real quick with like, all right, that's it. That's it right there. <laughs> I'm like, let me, let me, let me get out this mind frame. But I was like, I didn't meet any other black person that went to HBCU. And I really want to talk about this uh, topic. Uh, I know one girl says she wants to go to get like her PhD, but I don't feel like it's going to be the same only because when you're in your twenties, that's like such a prominent and pivotal year and when you're like in your 30s it's kind of hard to kind of just shift your mind or kind of just go in a new habit um but I mean I'll still accept it but I just feel like going to an HBCU as an undergrad which we'll get into it's just I don't know I know for me (laughs) man I come from Piscataway, New Jersey, which is, I'm going to say it's a very diverse. There's a lot of Indians, Indians, whites, uh, Asians. Like there's, there's definitely a melting pot. I know my parents said that they did. They definitely wanted me to experience a melting pot because my sister, she was the only black person in there. So they didn't want that for me. But when I stated like, I want to go to an HBCU, I want to be in a school of all blacks, my mother was a little, uh, you sure? And I'm like, yes, I want to yes. go. Right, she right, was right. very hesitant. She she thought I would turn out like a different way. She did not really have like a good light of an HBCU. She didn't go to college, but that's okay. What does that, um, what does that mean? What does that mean when you say a different way? So she was brought up in at Newark, New Jersey, Weekway College. So she sees all black schools as just kind of just being a little bit unorganized. Um, I'm using her words too. It's just being unorganized, late, a bad represent. She didn't want to have like a bad representation because she wanted me- she wanted her kids to excel in the world versus how, you know, how my father and my mother was. So she wanted, she, you know, she's paying for it. Like she wants her kids to be, you know, moving forward. So she wanted, she wanted the best and listen here, I I proved her wrong. Okay. (laughs) But, um, all right. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, yeah, I stuck with my, yeah, I want to go to an HBCU. I actually originally wanted to go to North Carolina (laughs) A&T. They didn't want me to go so far because 
Uh, you said why? No, I said all right, all right. Oh, okay. Uh, I wanted to go there, but they yeah. said that it was too far. Because, you know, when you are mm -hmm. applying for colleges, I was under the age of 18 when you had when you had the deadline. So they have to sign off on it. So they didn't sign off oh, on the schools yeah. that were like too, too far away. Maryland was a nice three hours away. So they will be able to get there within a hot skip away. Because, you know, I told you, if, if you, you don't tell me some, I'm 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 a go a little I'm a wander. <laughs> Right, 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 right. But um, attending an HBCU, man, just seeing so many like minds, just seeing the differences of blackness, the hair textures. Um, I think I felt, found my identity going to an HBCU. And within that, Baltimore is like, it's not half black, but it's a high percentage of black versus where I came from. So me being in the culture of Baltimore City, and I actually had an apartment in Baltimore City. So I was really like in the blackness of blackness. I, that's, that's how I felt. And I just felt like I found my identity living in Baltimore, going to a black school. I cut my hair all off while going to college um, I had short, like a short pixie haircut, but just shaving my hair all off and was like, this is me. This is what I want, not what society deems as a woman. Um, and I just felt very confident in just being inspired by the teachers. The teachers were just so eloquently spoken. And I just was very like mesmerized and just loved going to class because they were able to just resonate and identify with things instead of just reading stuff from the books or just going over these things. And then they actually had like personal stories that were like interweaved into the lessons that made me like be an honor roll student. I mean, some will say like the curriculum system is kind of low, but I don't think so. If, they, if they're not into it, they're probably just partying. But some of these teachers, a lot, well, I'm gonna say a lot of the teachers were, were like really into teaching, but I feel like I found my true, true confidence in my identity going to a black school and also just living in a black community of Baltimore. I child when i came back the first semester my parents was just like who is this child yeah 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 you go through a metamorphosis and you don't even realize it but you become that environment just just seeps into your soul into your spirit into your blood and you just feel like you can take on the world at least that's what it did for me I had so I had I felt like I had so much like ambition and just like, yeah, whatever. I seen somebody else do it like I can do it, too. And they're just like, no, you can't. I'm just like, why can't I? Like, I, I see it when I'm in school. Like, why? Well, and I'm just like, well, you're basing it off of a white man's curriculum or standards. Like I seen a black person do it at my school. Like they can do it. Why can't I do it? I'm going to go do it. So that's why I said like me going to the, like I've definitely proven it wrong because when I finished, I done studied abroad at three countries. I have two degrees under undergrad. Uh, I had accomplished so much, so much. And they, and my mother was just like, I want to apologize for not wanting you to go to an HBCU wow. because yeah, I just viewed going to a black organization or a black institution would be just just a bad representation. And I just want the best for you and your sister. So 
but yeah. Well, I think there's something that's that's been done in America. If we sit back and we look at why we believe that, it's because the country has done what I call an indoctrination that everything that that's white is better. Right. And historically speaking, that was true. Back when my mom and dad were growing up in the 40s and 50s in Jim Crow South, mm-hmm. everything that was white was better. Mm-hmm. They had better schools, they had better books, better roads in their neighborhoods, their homes were better, everything was better. And so when integration began, there was this notion that, okay, especially when Blacks were being bused to different schools, which were predominantly white. Instead of the country doing and giving access to equipment and books and technology as they did the other, meaning white majority schools, they decided, well, let's integrate so that we have access. But in doing that, not saying that that was wrong in and of itself, I'm just speaking from a, um, a socioeconomic or socio perspective, social perspective, is that it began to set up as this notion that everything that white people have, everything that they do, that is better than who we are and what we have. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just the opposite. My experience having gone to Howard undergrad, it was what I had been told, I realized wasn't true. Mm-hmm. The idea that because I was in a predominantly white environment in high school and growing up, that everything they had was better. I realized when I got to Howard that what I had been fed about what being Black in America, that it was wrong. The notion that Black isn't good enough that black people aren't good enough, that we're not smart right. enough, totally was wiped out. Because I went to Howard and I, I realized that there were all of these beautiful people, all shades, all around the movement, who were smart and confident and bold and creative. I had never been involved or in an environment where everybody was like that. Mm-hmm. And so I started going, well, wait a minute. So I, th- I thought I was special. I thought I was like the only smart black person in my school right. or like two or three of us in the National Honor Society. You begin this feeling as if, you know, this notion that you know, you're not that you're better, but that you have been assimilated and assimilating mm-hmm. for most of your life. And then when you go into an environment that is predominantly African-American, predominantly majority black, you realize, okay, you're with the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. And so all these, the, 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 the notion that Black isn't good, went out the window. It was like, right. what? All of these beautiful, smart Black people? Right. It just gave me that extra boost of confidence and love and that spirit and feeling of like Black power and that we're better together, that we're great together. And it was just the best of my life. Seeing people who looked like me mm-hmm. in major key decision making positions, whether you know the president of the university all the way down to you know the, the staff people who were serving serving us in the cafeteria our janitors our um teachers our professors i mean everybody it was black excellence at its best mm-hmm. on every level and i think about that now and i wonder you know why 
even in 2022-2023 in current states that there is this notion still that white is better right. or that white is white and i believe that post george floyd that this the conversation that we're beginning to have again that blackness our blackness is beautiful that Mm -hmm. um, cooperation, black cooperation and black connection, black collaboration. We need to get back to that. And we need to create a world where we are not the other, a world where we're not considered or to be deemed as, you know, minority, that we are the majority in our environments. And right. how that how that speaks to our children and makes them feel confident and bold in who they are, that we can circulate in any environment, whether it's all black or all white majority black, majority white diversity, whatever it is, that they feel confident in themselves. And that's what going to an HBCU gave me. It gave me the confidence that I, I needed to matriculate in any environment. So that when I walk in the room, I feel comfortable walking into any room. Yes. I feel comfortable being who I am in any room. I feel comfortable wearing my blackness in any room. Mm -hmm. And I feel good enough about who I am as a person that I don't need to make you feel comfortable with who I am. You don't feel comfortable, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. But I'm right. going to speak what I speak. I'm going to be who I am. And I'm going to show up as a Black woman. And that experience, having been at an HBCU, is what gave me the confidence in who I am as a person, as a woman, as a Black woman, to feel confident and to have value and worth in myself and for myself that I know when someone is mistreating me. I know when you are treating me less than who I am. Because I know when you're not treating me so my, my level of professionalism. I know when you're using your microaggressions to try to denigrate me and keep me down. Right. That's what having an HBCU education gave me the confidence, the effrontery to stand up and say, I see who you are, I see what you're doing, and I'm not about that business. I'm taking my resources, my intellect, and I'm going to serve myself and my people. I don't need to be in an environment that is not, that doesn't Welcome. protect me, that doesn't support humanity. And I don't think I would have been there had it not, I don't think I ever would have evolved to that had it not been for that HBCU experience because it, it grounded me and it gave me the foundation to speak truth to power, to not be afraid, and to be confident in who I am as a Black person and as a Black woman. And to sit in it and stand in it and to harness it and to love it and to embrace it and to be bold about it mm -hmm. and to be bold about it. Had it not been for my HBC experience, I don't think I ever would have had that. And I, and I also will admit, you know, I had a little bit of um, an extra experience with that because my mom and dad both went to Grandma, another HBCU, and they also served on the staff as professors. So I had a little bit of both experiences at a young age when I was in fifth grade, sixth grade, and seventh grade, being in an all-black environment. So I had the best of all the worlds. Mm -hmm. But being at an HBCU, I mean, it was the most pivotal moment in my life that truly changed me and opened my eyes as a woman and as a black person in America. And like I said, had it not been for, for Howard, I don't think I would have been the confident woman that I am and that I, I became and the ability to, to understand who I am and, and the value that I have and to walk away when an environment is no longer servicing me and no longer right. for me. That's that boldness that an HBCU gives you that maybe being 
in a different environment perhaps would not because you are surrounded by people who are, as I mentioned earlier, just smart and intelligent and we are protective of each other. Mm-hmm. And that protection, that feeling of, okay, we are all in this together. We're all seeking the same thing out of life. And, you know, you get, you see me for who I am. There's something beautiful and powerful mm-hmm. about that. When you know you're being viewed, not for your color, but because of who you are, because you identify with each other. Like, you see me, you right. hear me, you feel my soul. Mm-hmm. You see me as a human being. You're not basing your connection with me on color, but because we understand each other, because we are coming from the same kind of environments or we, we've, we've had the same experiences in the workplace. You understand the language that we both understand and speak. And had it not been for an HBCU, I would not be who I am today. So, you know, I give hats to, hats off to Howard and I will be real HBCU. I will always, I will always glow about I'm my get somebody from Hampton. We'll say, we'll, we'll say it there. But I will always, and I am, I am, I am pro HBCU. I am pro anything that protect that is protective of you as a human being. And that's what I believe in HBCUs give us. They, the teachers, they, they give us the real world perspectives that they prepare you for the real world so you can matriculate in different areas and avenues and environments. And it prepared me for life. It prepared me for life. And so, you know, as we're speaking with our son about as he prepares to go to school in college, he has another three and a half years and he'll be making that decision. We are supportive of wherever he decides to go. But one thing, one thing that I love about us is that we are very clear about having conversations about race yeah. and racism and discrimination and how to navigate in many environments. And my son has heard many a story of my own personal experiences in life, especially in the workplace. And we have those conversations with him so that he's aware that, you know, your blackness you know, you can't hide it. I mean, you are a black man. And with that comes um, some experiences that you should not have to deal with. We should not have to have a talk with you about making sure that you got your hands on 10 and 2 and then when a police officer, but you know, that whole police officer mm-hmm. conversation, you shouldn't have to have it, but we do. And yet we also want to make sure that he understands that in spite of that, there's still to be confident and to love your blackness and to be proud of who you are and to never yourself to make other people feel comfortable right not gonna do it not gonna do it yeah, I feel like the attending HBCU has provided me tools they definitely had like extra things to provide us tools and also just having like those uncomfortable conversations, like these conversations that I see like on, on Instagram or TikTok, I'm just like, I've been having these conversations within like the classroom of the HBCU. Like these aren't like, wow, like the complexion thing. Yeah. Like the, the complexion thing, like we know the lighter skin African-American gets a little bit more treatment than the dark skin one, because you know, the programming that's, was done pre in the previous in the history earlier times. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um I don't know. I just find it very interesting just and then just digging into somebody's profile and see that they did not go to school or they didn't go to an HBCU. But if you went to like an HBCU, 
these, yeah, these conversations, these tools, these little games that they, um, they put us on game on so much stuff. And I'm just, I cannot wait to have these little discussions when I have my kids about, yeah, just being your blackness. I I definitely see the difference when I'm in the room versus when my sister's in the room, because it's just a total night and day, summer and winter. Like it's just so different, (laughs) so different. Cause she went to a white school and I went to an all black school. And then when I went to a white school for grad, I'm like, girl, I need to go back to a, (laughs) I need to go back to a black school. What is this? But I'm at the, I'm at university of Miami. So let me let me try to stick this out, but, but I haven't gone to you know to an HBCU though prepared you for grad school so that yes. you can still be in that environment and sit in it and still be you know to be in the environment and appreciate the education, mm-hmm. but it didn't change who you were as a person as a black no. woman, and I think that's the difference is that the HBCU grounds you in your connection to black america it can it, it keeps you grounded in your blackness it, it gives you that foundation so that you can matriculate in different environments and experiences yeah i feel like it, it was like a stepping yeah i feel like it was like a stepping stool where they were just like helping build like the stepping stool so when i'm out in the world like i'm able to just navigate properly instead of just misrepresenting yeah. myself um, Absolutely, but Absolutely. yeah, I can definitely tell the difference. What? How was your your home? Your, the homecoming? Because I know the last time yeah. I went to Howard, Jesus Lord, the the driver. They do know how to do homecoming. They do know how to do homecoming. I will be honest with you. <laughs> um, I never could go to my homecoming in because I was working in an industry where I had to work whenever homecoming was because it's what's called during the book and the book is the Mm -hmm. time when all of us have to be there and we can't take any time off or Mm -hmm. any holidays off or anything like that because it's during the book and that's a a really good little time in the broadcasting industry um so i have not the last i'm kind of embarrassed to say this but the last homecoming i attended was 1996. it might have been was it 96 yes it was either 96 or 97. And um, so it's been a long time, but I watch, I see all the pictures and everybody going to them. And so now that I'm not, I'm out of that field full time, I will probably, this will probably be the first year that I'll go back to visit since 1996, just because my, my job didn't allow me to take the time off. And, you know, I was always on call 24 seven, you know, whenever there's breaking news, you got to be here and down and something happens. And so, um, but yeah, now that I'm, I'm doing my own little thing and, you know, footless and fancy free. I now have the freedom to go. And um, to, so I probably will be here this, this year, this year, see some folks. Soon. Really? But yeah, right here, they still put on a good party. <laughs> wow. Okay. I haven't been to a homecoming since um, I'm 34 now. So yeah, since I was 27. Yeah, 20, 27 was like my year where I'm just like, all right, girl, we we on our own. Like, your parents not supporting you. What you going to do? 
Um, yeah, okay. 27 okay. was like the pivotal year, and I kind of just was like, I don't want to bring my old bad ha- my old bad habits into my 30s. Let me start shifting. So I haven't been to homecoming in my since 27, but I do want to go back before I'm um, 40. But man, I mean, all the homecomings I've went to. Child, right. I don't went to Howard, Alexandria, and New in uh, Louisiana. I don't went to G- North Carolina and T. Of course, Jiho. Hey y'all. <laughs> um, who else have I gone to? North Carolina, um, Central. Child, I had a tour bus. That's why my parents would always say, "Like, where are you now? What is that, <laughs> is that time of the year? Where are you now?" Um, I went to Tuskegee homecoming. I have went to so many homecomings. It was like a tour bus for me. So me just taking a break wow. now is like nothing. I yeah. So I would drive. I had I had a full life. That's why I said, child. I my my twenties. Okay, I don't child. Re- <laughs> right. You're like I was. I was doing it. I was, doing I was it. out. But yeah. um. Yeah, I went to every, I went to a lot of homecoming. I did not make it to Texas because that drive, I was like, whew, that drive. But, fam, oh, fam you. Fam you, the rattles. That was fun. Um, Clark Atlanta and Spellman Morehouse, they were okay. Mm-hmm. They were okay. They're, they're really like to like profile and the, the Greek life is very big there. Mm-hmm. So their whole mm-hmm. homecoming is around there. But um, I think I had the most fun at FAMU, North Carolina A&T. I forgot what year for Howard. Um, man, so many drunken nights. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like some of, some of the drunken nights, I don't even know how I got back. Some friends mm-hmm. lost. That's definitely how you, you definitely can test your friends out when you're taking them out of their element and you bring them into a new one on a road trip mm-hmm. and into a new destination. You definitely see their real character. So, I mean, some friends lost, but. Girl, yes, traveling, whether it's an HBCU or homecoming or whatever it is. Traveling with anybody will let you see, okay, are we going to still be friends after this? It can make a break of relationships. Yeah, one <laughs> one of them, I was just like, girl, you got to find your way home. I'm, I'm okay. celebrating this. She, invite, she, call, she met someone with the supplier. I'm going to say supplier. Oh, to... And I was like, girl, did you invite that person over to my friend's apartment? You don't even know my friend. Are you crazy? He could have yeah. been a killer. I'm like, yeah, yeah. No, you got to find a way home. So, um, yeah, like. Remember I talked to you before about, like, when was that one time when you, like, have to let a friend go? That's when you're like, girl, you got We were done. Because if you're going to disrespect and go over a boundary like this one, what else won't you do? So, I, I, yeah, uh-uh, we're done. Folks, it's crazy. So, yeah, it's it's that I've. It's been in and out flows of friendships, but yeah, she just like you, you're staying over someone's house for free. This is like my friend's apartment. It's not a university apartment and you're inviting like a stranger. You provided the address to a stranger. Like, are you crazy? (sighs) Folks is crazy, but homecoming is just amazing. Amazing. It's like the Thanksgiving of for college. It's just a big old 
potluck of just food, entertainment. You got the older folks, the alumni coming. It's just amazing. The te- And the teachers understand. They know we not coming to class. And they're like, look, it's party weekend. Some of the teachers will come home on the yard with you. They're like, calm down with this. Like, we know what it is. So, yes. So- Homecoming. I don't even know how to describe it for anyone that doesn't that hasn't gone to like a HBCU. I know some people are like, like the Beyonce tribute that she did to Coachella. I'm like, that's a, that's a cute little teaser of like HBCU, but like you really need to, yeah, you have to visit and get the the ambiance. Yeah. You have to get the ambiance. Yeah. No, it's Mm -hmm. not the same. It's the energy, the camaraderie, you're getting so many black people from so many different backgrounds. I mean, there's some people from that's coming from like the Bahamas to to um that's at your HBCU. There's just so many different layers of blackness. And when you guys just have fun during the homecoming, it's just homecoming alone. It's just amazing. It's just a week full of activities that just celebrates your school's I don't even know how to define it. How would you define homecoming at, for HBCU? Well, it's just like the biggest, I mean, you don't need to use a word to describe it, but it is. It's the biggest homecoming ever. It's literally coming home. Coming home to the Mecca, wherever your Mecca is. You're coming home to an environment that is supportive, that is loving, that sees you and values you. And it's home, and that's what home should be for many of us. I mean, your yes. home is a place of refuge, a place for protection, a place where you can be yourself, where you can let your hair down and really be yourself, and people see your humanity. Mm-hmm. That's what homecoming is. That's what an HBCU offers, and it's the best feeling in yeah. the world. I mean, I still feel it. Like I still remember so many moments of just pure ecstasy and joy in Black excellence that have. It's lived with me forever. And when there are moments where I feel a little down or I'm questioning some of my professional moves, there's something about that experience that comes back to me and it reignites me mm-hmm. and refuels my soul and my spirit that says, you know who you are, girl. You got yes. this. You know who you are. You yes. It's yeah. almost unspeakable. Like it's such a pivotal such a pivotal life altering experience mm-hmm. that I owe my life to. I really, yeah. really I owe my life. To. My husband, when I talk to him about it, sometimes he went to Temple. So he never okay. had that long HBCU experience. And he says, even to this day, he's like, I should have gone to an HBCU. He's like, I wanted to, but yeah, my parents wouldn't let me or whatever. And he says, you know, I feel like I should have done that too, because he missed out on so much of the, it's just the black excellence, the black camaraderie that you can't really explain. I mean, I could tell you, but unless you're in it and you lived it, it's not the same. I mean, I could tell you the experience, but you'll never really fully understand no. and appreciate it because you didn't live it. I lived it. You know, I lived it. I breathed it. I it was in my soul. It's my blood, and it and it it never goes away. It will be in you forever, always in your soul and in your spirit forever. Yeah, even when I go to like a homecoming that I didn't even go to that school, I still fit in because I understand the culture. 
Yeah. That's yeah. how I met some crazy. The, I met some random girl at a homecoming, and we became friends because she's like, "You're not oh. from here," and I'm like, "No, girl, I'm just, I'm just parlaying around." Like, <laughs> and, now you all, and that's it. Those are like the best friendships that you will ever have mm-hmm. in life. That's so so cool when I see people from Howard who are still going on trips together and they're, they're, you know, friends for life. I mean, that's it. Those are friendships that can last a lifetime because that's when you really are becoming your own person and, yes. you know, you're coming to your own and you are growing up with these other people who are also trying to figure out what life is all about mm-hmm. and you're living this kind of like excellence here and you're in this little cocoon together and to then leave and to flourish and to grow and for us all to be successful. Like it's the, it's the best thing in the world. And it's just so welcoming. And you just feel like that's your home. It's your emotional, spiritual home forever. forever. Yes. It's like forever. a home away from home. It is. It is. It is. Like it just gives me, just makes me feel all good inside. It still gives me goosebumps. I mean, I just have so many great memories and, you know, the experiences working, you know, on the newspaper when I was there. And mm. it was my first time really getting involved in journalism and, you know, working on campus and interviewing people. And mm-hmm. um, it just was such a great, I mean, just a great environment. Many other people who I went to school with, still friends with, and watching them rise in their professions and mm-hmm. in the journalism world, it's just it's just it's, it's magical it's a yeah. magic that never leaves it lives within me forever and will and will forever i will so have... mm-hmm. my myself like wherever you want to go we will support you wherever you want to go we'll support you i will have to say howard famu in north carolina ant you guys connections after after school like the community is just so tight lip you guys are like yeah it's just it's just unbreakable on like the connections like it's unbreakable yes when you guys like excel Mm -hmm. you guys like will bring on the people on once you're on like it's just the bond i know when i was like brought on a job and i just see like the group of people and they're like kind of talking i'm just like oh how do you guys like know oh we i went to school with the i'm like oh which i went to school and they're like oh we went to howard or oh we went to um morehouse and i'm just like this is so crazy it's always Uh, those three schools that are just like so tight knit it's just the bond it's like unbreakable it's just crazy yeah yeah it's unbreakable like i said i'm still friends with so many people from howard and even if i didn't know you when I meet you and you're like, oh, I went to Howard. You know, we might have missed each other for a couple of years or they were before me or I I was, you know, before them or whatever. But we weren't on the campus at the same time. We might have missed each other by two or three years. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, hate you. Yeah, you hate you family. We're family. We are family. In fact, I'm doing a, a really interesting project coming up at the end of January. And he went to Howard Law. He went someplace else undergrad and went to Howard Law School. Mm-hmm. And I was Howard undergrad and I went someplace else for law school. But that HU connection, right. it, I mean, we're connected because of that. We're now collaborating on a project coming up at the end of um, January that hopefully will be in your television home with one of these days pretty soon. But anyway, having said that, it's that camaraderie and that connection. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to 
I want to help another HU person prosper. Like we're in this together. Yes. And, it, and because and it's not just because of Howard, it's because we know that they came from good soil, that who they are, like you get it. Like we get each other. And I know that your your level of excellence is is where mine is. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just top. It's cream of the crop. So we know what you're bringing to the table. Now, not everybody, but for the most part, that's always been my experience. But, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that old saying every every well, skin, every skin folk and kin folk. I mean, sometimes no. you know, the people <laughs> who might not have, might not see things the way we do. Um, but for the most part, that's always been my experience. Yes, I would. I wish I would have networked a lot more. While I was in school, because I went to Morgan State and Coppin State, those are the two colleges in Baltimore. But um, yeah, I would, I wish I would have networked more, maybe because I had like an off-campus apartment, like I had an apartment apartment, and I drove, like I was a full adult in college, <laughs> not working or working whenever I felt like working. Um, I wish I would have networked a lot more then I did I only network when it was like time to network or do a project and then I kind of just like let allow things to just fall through the cracks but I don't know if I would have lived on campus maybe that would have been a different story but I do think that me just having my own apartment having like a, a handful of friends that would come over that kind of just hindered me from keeping my relationships. But when I do meet like an HBCU, like just talking to just random people or working on a project, I'm just like, oh girl, we gotta stay connected. <laughs> you gotta stay connected. That's right. Like we're gonna be connected for life. Yes. <laughs> I think the closest thing to an HBCU as an adult is um Essence Fest, because it's just so many groups of Black people in one event. Like, it's just catered to the Black people. And there's actually events and, yeah, concerts that's, like, catered to the Black demographic. I think that's, like, mm-hmm. the only, yeah, that's, like, the closest thing of, like, an HBCU, like, just experiencing so many Black people under one roof. But I don't think there's anything else that kind of just resembles going to... Yeah, an HBCU. Have you ever been to Essence? You know what? I've never been. It's on my bucket list. It definitely is. I did not get a chance to go this year because I work with a, I have a client who is um, based in New Orleans too. Okay. And uh, so she's telling me, you got to come, you got to come. So hopefully I'll, I'll get a chance to come this year. I like New Orleans a lot. That's a hidden gem, that place. It's very historic. I love like the historic roads and the houses are still like, I just, I don't know. I like historical stuff and just looking through, there's like a butterfly, um, like museum. Like there's just so many cool little things. If you like stuff like that, like New Orleans has like a lot of like hidden gems and they have a lot of boutique stuff. The food is, well, any, any, any state or city that has amazing food, I am there. Their food is amazing. Okay. Oh, girl, I would be a hundred times because I would be eating like all of that good micheladas and the good boys and the etouffees and all that. And and look, don't forget the, um, oh my gosh, the um, pecan pie. All that stuff. Yes. I would be big as a house, but it's so good. Yeah, the food Food is is amazing. 
Oh man, yeah. you haven't been to New Essence Fest. That'll be a cute little family. Yeah, yeah. That'll be a great like family trip. It's it's family oriented, so you can do that. That's a possibility. Yeah, you know what? I might be going. Um, you know, when I think about that, I, I've got some. I've got a little kind of not a side hustle. It's, it's a business, a, a curated beach accessory business, um, and so I may be possibly going as a vendor. I've been thinking about that, so yeah. I'll get a little bit of. Business and pleasure mixed in together. Yes. Yes. It's always the weekend. Bef- it's always the weekend bef- going into 4th of July. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I might, I don't know. I might go. I always stay at the Mary, the Marriott with the waterfront. Cause there's two different Marriott's yeah. there. I the go Marriott. to the one in the Marriott with the waterfront. Okay. I need my little balcony. Okay. Right. Like I need a little view. I need a room with a view. <laughs> Man, we're gonna listen to our last little eavesdropper. Okay, what we got? Let me see. What we got? Share screen. All right, all right. Hey, girl. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, beautiful. So, if you would have went to an HBCU, would it would have shaped you as a black woman differently? Absolutely. I believe that any black colleges and higher education always shapes you in a different way and makes you more prosperous in life. I definitely agree because I'm HBCU alumni. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Love is real. Yeah, shaping, yeah, the HBCU experience just shaped me in so many ways. Personally, I don't even know who I would be if I would have went to a, uh, um, a non-HBCU. I don't even know what they call it now because they, these little buzzwords folks be creating on the internet. But um, yeah, just going to HBCU during my 20s when I don't have life fig- figured out. It, it definitely helped me just kind of just align everything I want to do as a woman now or just growing. And it was and they just provided the right tools for me to be prosperous in my personal life and as well as my, my business life, because I definitely still have some notes from when I was attending class or projects. I'm, I'm still like using some of the, the methods that the, the professors have made us do. And mm-hmm. some of them like emphasize, like you, I, I, I suggest you use it this way as a person of color, you need to work a little bit more harder than your white counterparts or, you know, the white female, because when you look at the dollar amount, you know, black women are at the bottom of the totem pole and they would actually show us the dollar amount compared to like men or Spanish women or Asian women or Indian women or whatever. They just had like that full breakdown instead of just feeding us information. They actually provided us, you know, examples. And after they showed us examples, they also just told us strategies. And if we wanted to discuss more about it, we can go to their office hours and kick it with them and have, and still have more of those discussions. So man, oh man, there's just so much, yeah, that they just yeah. provide it. They definitely give you the realization, the reality of what the real world is like. Mm-hmm. Not what it's going to be, but what it's like because they've been there. And that's one of the moments that, again, became really clear for me when I began to evaluate where I was working, who I was working with, and working for. 
and having the confidence, the effrontery to stand out for myself. And knowing that everything that I had, God gifted me with. Mm -hmm. And he decides how it's going to be used. So I was just there for season. And God wants to use those gifts a little bit. And my decision was born out of that foundation that I I was, you know, like I have to to you to know that my value and worth that I don't need anybody else to define it. I define it for myself, but I know what it is. And I know what value and worth that I'm bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. And um, when you find out about, you know, whether it's, you know, the lack of, you know, respect that you're getting in the workplace, the, the unfair treatment, the disparate treatment, um, inequality, indisparate treatment financially, mm-hmm. you're not getting as much. When you become really clearly aware of the truth of that, you have to stop back, stop and ask yourself, okay, do I want to continue to work in this environment? Do I want to continue to be here? Or the tools and the gifts that God gave me, what I, what I have, who I have become because of the HBCU, I know that I, I have it within myself to go out and do something else for someone else and for myself. And like I said earlier, had it not been for that, I would not be in a position, I would have just probably settled. I would yes. have settled. I would have settled. And now, but because of the HBCU experience, you know, our professors and the staff, they teach you never to settle. Mm-hmm. Never to settle with yourself in terms of your personal intellectual acumen and where you want to be in life and what you want to succeed and, and who you are as a person. Always continue to grow and to be better. But because I know and very clear that because we've been taught that you have to be better than than someone else's best mm-hmm. you know you can't tell me otherwise you can't tell me that i'm not up to par that i don't meet the standard or that i don't excel that i don't excel and right. and that i'm in the standard better than the average you can say it but it's not true you can say it but it's not true right. so when you know the truth it makes you that much more just confident in who you are and you're able to walk away and say you know what let me start doing for myself because mm-hmm. i don't need you. I don't need to depend on you. I've got it all in here and all up here. I've got the heart, the soul, and the intellect to make it happen for myself and to do for myself and for my people. That's the right. thing too that really just inspired me. And I'm so excited about 2023 is that you know this journey, as I've mentioned before, sometimes you don't have a choice, but when you make the choice to value yourself over being comfortable in someone else's environment with, that wasn't really meant for us to be in in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's when you walk out, walk away and say, you know what? I trust the universe to give me everything that I need. Give me everything that I need. Give me everything that I need. And then some, my cup is going to runneth over. And that's how I feel about life now. But the HBCU gives you that, gives you that solid rock to be confident in who you are and what you bring to the yeah. And to not accept what we Oh, yeah. Because as soon as I went from going to HBCU and then going to um, a white school, I just noticed the shift of treatment, the mm-hmm. looks. You know, I don't I don't look like a, a sh- I don't have straight hair and normal earrings like I just they're like kind of looking at me like, why? Why is she here? Like, why is she even allowed in this building? Um. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, the treatment was just so much different and I was just very aware of it, but they also prepared me because I had them help me kind of just get myself prepared for grad school. And we were able to have those discussions. Like you've been accepted. This is, this is great. Like congratulations, like university of Miami is very big. They have their own health system, but to know that you are a black woman that does Mm -hmm. not even look like the black woman that they you know, picture as, which is straight hair that's similar to theirs and conservative earrings and the way I talk, I'm I'm not change, I'm not switch coding my my tonality of my voice or anything else. Like that's that's definitely not gonna happen. And it still ain't going it still ain't happen with my clients now. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. But you know what? Though? It you know that's just something that you mentioned about. You know, most most of us as black folks, we do live a life where we are coding, switch coding all the time, and you're and you begin to live. A, I felt like I was living a double life. Not that I'm that much different as a black person anywhere else. I mean, I'm gonna always still be myself. But when you realize that you feeling up as who you are, it's not appreciated and valued, and it's not respected. That's when you were like, okay, it's time to make them. It's time to, yeah. to be in an environment that really appreciates them. Because I believe that you can work. It's it's really about human beings. It's about human beings being able to appreciate and accept who everyone is, whoever they are, and however they are, and however they show up in the world to respect people. Right. This is an issue of humanity. It's not necessarily about black and white and Asian, Hispanic, but it's allowing all of us to be whoever you are to show up as your authentic self and to be respected, to see me for who I am, respect my opinions, respect my cultural background and perspective, respect my opinions, respect my voice. Right. If they don't close the door and then all of you all go behind the door and you're kick-catting about us and running your mouths and talking about us and denigrating us and then trying to pretend as if, you know, then you come back to the room and you're like, ah, like, what they don't realize is that we see you too. Right. I see what you're doing and I understand what you're doing and I get the game. They don't expect for us to know because we don't talk about it. We just kind of put up with it and we suppress it inside. Mm-hmm. And we navigate. And there are times when I just want to be like, girl, I see you. Like, I know the game right. you're playing. So, quit. but we wouldn't have to do that if people would accept us, regardless of your race and green and color, nationality, mm-hmm. ethnicity, background, if they would just respect who you are as a human being. If we had more people who did that, we had more people who were allies in humanity and not allies in trying to make us complicit in their way of thinking and European stand- oh, European yes, standards. What a, right. What a better world we all would live in. But that's why I believe we're seeing this mass exodus of, I don't, I don't want to, maybe it's not mass, but we're seeing a number of, you know, folks who are people of color who are like, I'm done. When they were during COVID and they weren't having to go into the office and the workplace, they were like, oh my God, oh, I can breathe. I don't have to worry about, you know, this person and that person. And I feel like I could just be myself. And then when it was time to go back, they were like, I don't want to work. I, I just want to stay remote because we realized that the, the, we were being harmed emotionally, yeah. psychologically in the workplace because of the micro that's real people don't want to believe that it's real but it's real real. i'm writing about it and i'm gonna be talking about it for the rest of my life because i want to make sure that especially african-american women 
understand that I see you, I know what you're going through because I've been through it. And if it can happen to me, it is happening. It can happen to you. But what do we do? How do we put ourselves in a position of power and strength? How do we use these moments that give us clarity so that we can make the best decisions for our lives and for our families? Because at the end of the day, my job does not define who I am. Right. Or your who race. I am defines who I am. But what I'm not going to do and no, nor any other black woman do is work in a place where they feel as if and, and they know because the feeling is knowledge. We're not just making and creating something. It is knowledge. But we are really working in hostile, abusive environments. Right. And, we, and you know that and you recognize that it's time to go because life is too short to live and work with people who are disrespectful, who don't see you for who you are. And again, I keep going back to the HBCU, but that's what an HBCU gives you. Like, Mm-mm. I know better. My ancestors probably better. Their spirits are in me. Their souls are in me. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Ida B. Wells of, of the world, the Phyllis Wheatleys, you know, the uh, my people, my, the Frederick Douglasses of the world, my people taught me. They are in my spirit and they have shown me what I need to do to be successful. And what I'm not going to do is the silence, what I'm not going to do is be disrespected. I want to live and work in an environment that sees who I am and treats me as a human being. And when, where that does not exist, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out. So thank you, HBCU. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because sometimes it was hard talking about it before there was like social media because, you know, there's the bridge between the gap of parents who have no technology and the kids now like it's it's a gap. But I've definitely been a part of, um, you know, situations at work where you feel like you're being microaggression and you're trying to report it to HR and they're just like, are you sure you're not? HR is not separate. Girl, well, I know. Oh, I, I learned no, it the hard one. way. No, I learned it the hard no. way. HR is not your friend. HR is there to it's the, the business. It's the, yeah, it's the it's business, business friends. They're there to protect the company. They don't care about your feelings. They don't care what happens. They're not going to do in um, investigations that are going to be objective. They're there to protect the company. The so that's my that's my number one thing for everybody in 2023 is don't ever think that HR is your friend. They're get not. An, get an attorney. Tell HR too because they'll set you up. It's true. It's get, true because I've lived. HR is not your friend. Yeah, get an attorney. Guy. Yeah, get an attorney. Your own attorney. Mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. the, those discussions where they just like oh or they try to steal your idea and then give it off to you know the white I've definitely had that and my mother was definitely mad like why did you and I'm just like I'm not taking a pay cut and you they stole my idea and she's not understanding like the double edged sword of them stealing from a black per- from a black person and my work is way better than that person. She just well, the reality of it is, mm-hmm. the reality of it is, those environments—they know what they're doing. It's intentional. It, it, it's not. Oh, we didn't know. It's intentional, and it's intentional, and that's discrimination, and that's racism, and that's yeah, that's that's what we pay. That's what we deal with all the time. And so, yeah, sometimes it's difficult for parents to understand because they they dealt with. They didn't deal with what we're dealing with in the way that we are now. I mean, racism for them was, you know, calling you the N-word or putting a noose, you know, at your desk at the office. And now it's the microaggressions that technically cannot be, that are not illegal. I mean, 
it's, it's, it, they're very objective, but we know as black folks what it really is. It is racist and it is discrimination. Right. And so now we at a point in life where we can talk about this openly and hold people accountable. So that's one of the things that I'm working on in 2023 is that, you know, I'm using what I, what I know as a journalist to be able to, to, to raise the bail on these conversations that people are afraid of having and to understand, you know, it's not just about black folks being aware. It's really letting everybody, regardless of what color you are, but especially the majority, understand that this is what racism is. Racism is not just the N-word. That's right. not what it is. That's that's like a scintilla of what it is. But we've allowed you all to define what racism is. And Black people, we need to tell you what it is because we are the ones who define what it is, not you. Right. And also Don't parents... That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm real passionate about this one, this thing. Because I've lived it. Oh, good. And I'm about to blow the lid off the top. And also, some parents just want you to just shut up and have a stability job. Like, they just want you to have job benefits, pension. Like, that's all they know. And and it's it's a different environment. Um, We're different. It's a different world. It's a different world. And they're just still stuck in theirs. But... Yeah. No, but but think about it. That's the that's the way they were brought up. I mean, when they were brought up in the era of, you know, you 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 go along to get along. Sure, you, you know, I you probably would have been killed as a slave then. Girl, I could have been listen. I would have been killed. What you said? I would have been the one. I'd be like, you said what? Okay. Okay. But you know, you do better when you know better. And so that, you know, as as future generations continue. You know, every generation should get better. And so now our generation, your generation, your generation, even compared to mine, you know, you are taking it the next, to the next level mm-hmm. and it's supposed to get better. And that's, that's the beauty of it is that every generation should be better than the prior generation. So even in my fight, you know, it's, you know, people in my era are very much afraid to speak up, are very much afraid to stand up are very afraid to go against the grain because they're worried about their money. And I get it. I get it. You got to have money to live in this world. But if you're clear about who you are as a person, Mm -hmm. if you're clear about the skill set that God is giving you, you owe no one thing. You owe yourself the truth and you owe yourself the ability to live and work in an environment that is, that, that protects you as uh, protects your humanity. That sees right. your humanity. And yet there's so many people who are like, I get it. I see it. I know it's racism. I know it's discriminatory. I know they're doing all that. I know, I know, I know. But I don't want to mess my money up. I want to make sure I get my check. I get it. But if you're clear about who you are as a person and you're clear about what you bring to the world in terms of your intellect and your ability and your profession, why are you worried about a check? God's going to provide. He At least he always asks for me. I mean, I believe in that. I believe that when you err on the side of right over wrong mm-hmm. and you hold a, a, a candle, you hold a light to the truth and you speak truth to power, only goodness can come from that. Yeah. Even, if it means, even if it means I have to take a hit, it means I have to lose my job or walk away. I'm willing to take that because what you're doing is so... Ugh. There's another word I want to use, but it's so wrong that my spirit won't allow me to let you get away with it. Yeah. 
I can understand what you're saying. There's no amount of money you can pay me that's going to let me let you do what you know you're doing. Right. So guess what? I'm that girl who fights back. I'm that chick who fights back. Yeah, it's just a crazy world living as a black person, but you went to a good old HBCU. You have a nice well, little escape. That's, that's spirit and that's fun came from the HBCU. It's a nice that's little Yes. The HBCU is what gives us that, like, nah, you don't know me. It's like, a nice little escape. Yeah, it is. It's a nice escape to whatever you, you better enjoy that for four years. Or however many years you in there, because once once you step foot across that stage, and you look around, and I'm like, yeah. girl, what is this? I know it's a, it's a, you're in the real world, you know. So you're in that little cocoon, that protective cocoon for four years. But think about it this way: the HBCU gives us everything we need to face any challenge and to rise above. And we can also go back as well. Like, hey, I'm a, you're a part of the alumni family. Like, hey, I, I need assistance. I'm a graduate of class of 2010. <laughs> and they will actually yeah. welcome you back. Welcome Versus you back. me going to a non-HBCU, they, they were like, you're not an active student here. So unfortunately, we can't give you those resources. I'm like, no. oh, okay. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. <laughs> okay whatever but shout yes hbcu was definitely uh, an escape of just nourishment and home away from home um and just having fun yeah and protection and yeah as soon as you leave just just know all all skin folks ain't kin folks and 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 they don't have the same motives or same mm-hmm. hunger as you do. I'm I'm just right. definitely tell you that now right. cuz I I have I have lived in various places and I'm like, "Oh, this ain't the black person. This ain't the black this ain't the same group of black right. people I see at the HBCUs. Let me step away from right. here." <laughs> right. And and it's true, you know, in moments of moments where of experiences that put people to the test. Mm-hmm that's when you realize if they're skin folk or if they're just, or if they're kin folk, mm-hmm. because in my estimation, if you're a kin folk, we fight the same dogs. Right. And we're fighting with, we're not fighting with each other. We're, we're not fighting competitive. collaboratively yes. against other forces. And if you're, if you're suffering, I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. If I'm winning, you're winning because I'm going to pull you up. Right. But if you're suffering and I see you, in the ditch and I can pull you up, I'm pulling you up. I'm bringing you with right. me. And if you're suffering and if I see someone doing something against you, they're really doing it against me too. So guess mm-hmm. what? I'm going to pull you up. I'm helping you. I'm going to, I'm in the fight with you. Right. But there are a lot of people who are in the fight. Whether you go to an HBCU or not. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but yeah. you've got to know if they're in the fight with you, which is a real ride or die. People are like, I'm a ride or die. I'd be like, okay. Let, let's see what happens. You're gonna if you riding with me or you're gonna die with me with this one. Like let's let's put let's put this to the test. And sometimes a lot of people fail the test. A lot. I, I have to watch their their behavior first before that I hear that quote. Cause folks behavior yeah, like yeah folks actions. Don't call me ride, don't say ride or die unless you, you don't you haven't been tested yet. I'll see. 
Yeah, people's actions speak speak before they even pass, even qualify themselves. And I'm just like, girl, you your action on this day already let me know how you how you really are or how you really feeling. So I'm not I'm not interested in continuing this girl. Yeah, and there's a certain amount of freedom that comes with that too. I'm telling you, when I say I'm the freest I've ever been, free, dumb. I am free. I am free. Free, 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 free. And it's an amazing feeling because now I can see if someone's on the same page with me. I can see if they're going to be nasty. I can see, I can tell based on how they act or speak or respond if that's the kind of person I want to be in collaboration with. And it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It just means that I have a different standard that I've set for myself Mm -hmm. that everyone may not have or so that people may not have. And that's fine. You do you. But what I need and what I need to be successful, what I deem as being successful, what I need to feel is that I'm being protected. What I need to make sure that my humanity is being seen. Maybe they be totally different from yours, and that's okay. So you go do you, and I will do me, and I will continue to work with people who I know understand me and see me and value me. And that comes with time, you know. And and yeah, you can't. You can just you can say it, but it doesn't mean that you live it. Right. And when you're, that's when I know if you really mean it or if you just say it. It's a lot of copycatters out there in the world, ooh. especially living on social media. Lord have mercy. Tell me, ooh, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Let the test come and see what they do. Oh, yeah. If you Let haven't, the test if, come. if y'all trying to decide what college y'all want to go on, definitely consider an HBCU. Yes. I, I hope I hope maybe we've inspired some moms or dads out there or yes. young people who are like like do an HBCU. You will never regret it, whether it's undergrad or graduate school, you will never regret it because what what they get in life skills will eclipse anything they'll get intellectually, regardless of where they go. The life skills, the social skills that you get from an HBCU are bar none. No, yeah. no competition. And if you have just no confidence, child, when you come out, I'm going to say the first semester, depending on your personality, I'm going to just say that, depending on your personality, but by the time you get your degree, child, you, you are going to have a, a, a 180. <laughs> confidence makeover of, yeah, going to HBCU because child, you can't tell me nothing. Like you, what? I'm doing that. Okay. I don't know what you talk about. Right? Okay. I love. I mean, I'm just. I'm so happy that I went to Howard. I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I just, I talk about it a lot, and I'm excited about speaking about it. Um, just what they're doing in the universities and all HBCUs. You know, they've gotten a lot of love lately, and I think we're beginning to realize that. We are good. Not that we have to be separate, but when we're together, it's good. When we work yes. together, really, really good. Yes. And there's it's a, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. What was like the deciding factor of, for you to go to Howard? It was, it, it really was that. Uh, the fact that I had been, I, I had already had the experience of being in an HBC with, because my mom and dad at Grambling. And then being Gremlin grads, but I just wanted something different. I wanted to be around people who looked like me. I wanted, I mean, you know, the history of Howard, I, I knew it. 
Um, I was familiar with their school of communications, which was top notch. And it was in DC, which was a city that, you know, <laughs> offers you so much in terms of, you know, socially and, you know, intellectually, and it's, you know, the birthplace of, you know, it's government, it's all of that. And I just thought it would just be such a, a well-rounded experience. And so for me, it was easy. Like it was the only school I applied to. Yeah, because I applied to other schools, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I wanted to go to Howard. I was clear. And that it was the only undergraduate school that I wanted to go to. So I only applied to Howard. And of course, I got accepted. Right. Okay. And I that, that was always it. Um, I knew in my senior year. It was time for applications. I'm like, that's where I want to go. I applied and I was accepted by the end of my senior, um, first semester of my senior year. So I knew in January of 1987 where I was going to go to school in the fall. Okay. Child, I had no direction. I... <laughs> I applied to Maryland, University of Maryland, Eastern Shores, North Carolina A&T. Um, yeah, I had applied, but I wanted to go to North Carolina. Um, yeah, somewhere in North Carolina, either North Carolina Central, because one of my good friends at the time was going there. And then uh, North Carolina. Yeah, I, girl, I was just applying to all the HBCUs. So my mom was just like, no, I'm not signing off on these schools. So yeah, then that's right. when I looked into, all right, well, what's, what's, she was like, I need to drive within a day. Like I need to drive there and come back within a day. So mm -hmm. I looked into Maryland and I was like, oh, there's a lot of schools here. Let me look into this. So I decided to go to apply to Coppin State first and then Morgan. I got into both. Um, so yeah, that was my yeah, that was my reasoning of picking those schools. But I initially wanted to go to yeah, East yeah, Eastern Shores or the North Carolina FAMU, definitely. I've always liked Florida. Um, but my parents was like, no, you, you, we need to keep an eye on you. So you need to pick some. <laughs> <laughs> so like you need to be close by. Yes. Yeah, so that was my deciding by. factor, but I'm glad I picked Maryland because, um, it allowed me to just stretch myself and explore something new. Cause Maryland, I had, I don't think I've really wandered around in Maryland and DC area. So it was like new territories. And I was just like this, I still, I still like Maryland. So I'm just like, I'm glad that, that they made me reconsider and picking those schools and picking mm -hmm. that location. I'm just like, I really liked living there. The food there is great. Crab cakes is to die for. Okay. Ooh, girl, yes. I'm going to go there one of these days and give me some crab cake soup, crab cake sandwich, mm -hmm. a crab mm -hmm. cake burger, put some mambo sauce. I need to go to somebody's grandmama house and I want her to make the mambo <laughs> sauce. I do not want the store brand. The store brought one. Um, and, right. the ha and the half and half. Not the not the store <laughs> half and half. I want the D.C. Maryland half and half. Right. So yeah, I they just have right. cult yeah, they just have culture um within there. And I definitely appreciated yeah, just the Maryland DC. I ran around a little in the in the DC area. I definitely had my cards hold in DC a lot. So <laughs> I was not the driver <laughs> a lot of the time after a yeah, certain I'm, year. I'm the I'm the designated passenger. <laughs> yes. Uh, you want gas money? Cause I got gas money. 
<laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm glad I I decided to go there because it definitely is like a forever staple. Whether I went to HBCU and just experiencing the blackness of yeah, Baltimore yeah. and yeah, Baltimore, PG County, and mm-hmm. um DC. Mm-hmm. I love it. That I mean, you just can't go wrong with the DMV. It's like you know. Like people who love Atlanta. I mean, there's something to be said about black excellence and being around that. It just inspires you and motivates you to keep going. And you're like, I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever I want. I can not just dream it, but I can achieve it because I've seen someone else do it. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about representation matters, representation does matter. When you see someone who looks like you who can achieve and is achieving, it inspires you to keep pushing, it inspires you to keep going. It, it inspires you that if, it, if they can make it happen, you can make it happen. So yes. that's what an HBCU does. Yes. What do you want cheers to? Oh, girl, this is simple. Let's cheers to an HBCU. Yes, alumni. HBCU. <laughs> yes. Cheers. HBCU is amazing. Mm-hmm. Ain't you the real school? The real I'm going to find somebody from Hampton. I'm going to put y'all in one episode. <laughs> Bring them on. <laughs> so we can go so back pan- and forth. Panel wow. discussion. <laughs> now, who is the real HBCU? I, I, I dig it. I dig it. Who is the real that. HBCU? I, I need you to declare and we war. Right. <laughs> I can do that. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm up for the challenge. Oh, God. If y'all don't understand, y'all will never understand. But it's yeah. all right. It's just just watch from afar. But it's it's an ongoing joke that you guys will never right. understand if you are not an HBCU <laughs> grad. <laughs> Yes. So thank y'all for watching another episode of A Girl's Night Out. Yes. All right. I'll see y'all in another episode. Bye, y'all.